Well, hello and welcome back to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are so glad you're with us today. We are back in our series through the book of James and our lead pastor, Chris Figaretti, is walking us through chapter four, verses seven through 10. And he's talking about how we don't really take our sins very seriously, but he's also going to tell us how we can change that today. Here's Chris. Well, good morning and welcome back. Good to see you guys. Hey, uh, before I jump into uh, the message for today, I just want to take a moment. If you've been watching the news and what's going on in Israel, uh, it's a little out of control. It's a lot out of control. And, you know, one of the things that we know historically is what happens there affects everywhere around the world. And I just want to take a moment and pray for the wisdom that comes from above for our leaders around the world to navigate all these things uh, with God's wisdom. So let's pray. Father God, uh, we come before you, we lift up the situation in Israel right now to you. We ask, Lord, that um, your wisdom would guide and direct the people making the decisions there. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, for our world uh, as what happens there does affect everywhere. And Lord, we ask for uh, your wisdom to guide and direct the people making decisions around the world. Lord, Uh, pray for your protection, pray for your your peace, and we pray for your power to be at work in the midst of all of this and for your will to be done in your kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome back. We're back in James. The last three weeks have been been really fun for for me. Uh, We had Chris in town for two weeks, Chris Dew. Uh, And not only did he preach here two weekends and deliver some incredible messages, but he was also, he spoke at the Hope Center, he spoke at the Belmont County Prison, uh, he spoke at Celebrate Recovery, he he, uh, ministered in various ways around the community, and it is such a privilege to have Chris Dew on our team and a part of what's going on here at the Vineyard, so we're really excited to have him. And then last weekend, we had Joel Salatin, uh, my mentor, come in and speak, and uh, Joel challenged us to think about things that we don't usually think about, and uh, I hope it was challenging. It was not designed to be, hey, yay, amen. It was to designed to challenge us and cause us to think about the... the um, morality of things that we don't usually think of, and I'm, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, so there was that. Now, last week was a break from James, but this week uh, we're back in, and I am going to come back to the last four verses that Chris covered two weeks ago. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, open up to James chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to read 7 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, let me encourage you, in the lobby at the Next Steps table, we have free Bibles. You can get a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, get a Bible. If you do own a Bible, just bring your Bible next week. Uh, But the whole point of all this is to point you towards God's Word. Uh, What I have to say about it can help you understand it a little better, uh, but it is His Word that you need to be able to go to, uh, and it needs to be your habit to go to as life unfolds before you. And so if you bring it, if you open it, you know, uh, studies show that uh, if you bring it here, 
you will read it at home. That's, it's it's, it's kind of just flows into itself. And then uh, if you highlight, underline, take notes, you'll remember what you've read. You'll remember what we've talked about. And that's the point, guys. This is not here. To, we're not here to be entertained. We are here to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so if you're not bringing a Bible, do so. If you can afford a study Bible, you can get one of those out at the table in the far lobby, or you can order one online. I highly recommend a study Bible. Uh, save up for one. Get one. Uh, but if you just need a Bible in the meantime, we got free Bibles out at the table there. So, all right. Boy, this is going great. I'm really having fun. This is preaching things. All right. So, James has been beating us up for 12 weeks, right? He has been just hard hitting. Uh, he, he has been calling us out on inconsistencies in our lives. Uh, he's been calling us out on sin in our lives. He starts out by calling out complainers. He says, count it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. In other words, don't go, oh, well, poor me. He said, count it pure joy because it, it, it produces in you character and endurance. And it's not going to last forever, so don't get all wrapped around the axle about it. But count it pure joy and know that God is up to something bigger in your life and embrace what he is up to. Well, okay, this is challenging for all of us because we all like to complain, right? And he's like, no, 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 count it joy. And, and that verse always bothered me, but just to be, be clear, until I went through a really tough trial. And then I understood what he was talking about. And I'm like, mm, okay, I get it. Um, he, he calls us and challenges us to live what we believe, I think in their day and in our day as well, a lot of people were not living what they believed. They, they believed the right things about Jesus, but then they went off and lived a different way, right? What do we call that? Hypocrisy. He calls them out on hypocrisy. He says, that's demon faith. The demons believe the right things about God, but they don't follow him. You're no better than the demons at that point. James punches us in the gut, verse after verse, chapter after chapter. And then he talks about favoritism. Oh, well, you treat people who can do something for you better than you treat people who can't do anything for you, and they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. What's up with that? And he calls us out on favoritism. And then he calls us out on, on our mouth and how we treat other people, gossip, slander, disrespecting our spouse, disrespecting our ex-spouse to our kids. He calls us out on what we do with our words and wounding people with our mouths. Then he addresses pride. Then he addresses envy. And then he addresses vain conceit. It's all about you. Selfish ambition, greed and self-centeredness. And then he takes on worldliness. He says, you have, you have the value system, you try to live the value system of God while you're trying to live the value system of the world. And you have a foot in both places, and you can't live that way. And James is just like smack, 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 smack. He just keeps calling us out and beating us up. And, and then in verse 7 of chapter 4, I think he, it's kind of the crux of the whole thing. He comes down to, and that's why I want to revisit these four verses, because I really think this is kind of what everything up to this point turns on. 
Now, what I love about James is that as he's punching you in the gut, it's all seasoned with grace, right? I mean, James comes back over and over again and says, God is a God of grace. God is, there's all the more grace. There's grace, there's grace, there's grace. And I love that. And you love that. We all love that because we all need grace, right? But he's not mincing words. And then in chapter, or verse 7, it says, if he pulls it all together. And so let's, uh, let's read this together. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is going to be fun. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would give us the eyes to see the blind spots in our lives today. God, I pray that you would, would uh, move in our hearts by your Spirit in such a way that the things that we have been ignoring we would ignore no more. Lord, the things that we need to deal with, we would deal with. And the things that we have minimized, Lord, we would address. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. James is giving us a reality check here. He's basically telling his audience, and I think this has been the, his audience was the early church. Remember, this was the first, first book. It was a letter, the first letter in the New Testament written to the early church, probably written within the first 10 years after Christ. And there's an issue that has developed, and I think it has plagued the church ever since. It has plagued Christians ever since, and this is what it is. We don't take our sin seriously. We don't take our sin seriously. And this is how it goes. Well, God is a God of grace. I like the grace part. So I don't have to take my sin so seriously. I can live with a foot in the world and a foot in God's kingdom. I can have a double life, be double-minded. As long as I go to church on Sunday, as long as I've prayed whatever prayer it is I need to pray or checked it on the Connect card, as long as I read my Bible every once in a while, it doesn't ma really matter what I do or how I live. And James is addressing this with the early church, and he's addressing it with us here today. You know, it doesn't matter how out of control my mouth is or who I wound. It doesn't matter how much greed is in my heart and how much I don't trust God, but I do trust money. It doesn't matter if I look at porn every once in a while, oh, God will forgive me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God is a God of grace. And so over time, what we begin to do is we don't take the sin in our life seriously, and we end up living hypocritical double lives. I love James, because he does not leave room for that. He is calling us out. He's saying here, that doesn't work. 
Yes, God is a God of grace, and he affirms it over and over and over again. But a sinful double life is a serious matter. It must be dealt with. And then he gives us a pathway to dealing with it. And I really think that these four verses really give us a pathway to dealing with the unaddressed sin in our lives. Now, here's what I know about you. Most of us are dealing with sin in our lives. Okay, wait, wait, wait. All of us are dealing with sin in our lives, right? We're all sinners, saved by grace. That is true. But there are some of us who are habitually dealing with sin in our lives, who have ignored and or given ourselves to sin in our lives. When he says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you, you double-minded, the word for sinner there is a Greek word meaning hardened sinner, meaning the man whose sin is obvious and notorious. Now, I know there are some of us who are perfectionists, and we will beat ourselves up if we are not perfect. There are some of us who are not perfectionists at all, and we will make excuses for everything we do. But I want to speak to the perfectionists. James is not talking about, I have surrendered my life to Jesus, I have dealt with what I know to deal with, a sin in my life, and I make mistakes now and then. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is the person who sins in an area of their life, double-minded, I got this area of my life over here, and I just do that, and I, I've even forgotten that it's sin because it's just part of my life. Yes, I, my hope is in stuff. Yes, my mouth is out of control. Yes, I show favoritism to get what I want, and I treat other people poorly because they can't do anything for me and on and on and on. You, you name it. I mean, there's a million things that we can do. One of the things I love about what James addresses to this point is none of it is like murder, <laughs> adultery. You know, I mean, it's not the big stuff. It's greed, selfish ambition. It's pride. It's our way we use our mouths, the way we disrespect our spouse or our kids or the people that we work with. And so James, I believe, isn't addressing, well, I mean, he would be addressing murder and adultery and, and all that stuff, but it's the habitual sin in our life that we have either ignored or not taken seriously, or we said, well, I just, you know, whatever, I can't get that under control, so I'm just going to continue to live that way, and I'm not going to take it seriously. And he says, no, that's not okay. Like, you got to take those things seriously to. And he gives us a pathway for dealing with it. Now, lots of us are in habitual sin. Lots of us minimize and make excuses for the things that we struggle with or that we want to do, knowing that, well, in the end, God will forgive me because he's a God of grace. And the biggest one of those is not allowing God to be God in our lives. That's the big sin when we say, I want to be God, when I get to be in charge. But it could be gossip, could be greed, could be a judgmental attitude or favoritism or whatever else. 
I don't know what it is for you, but I pray even now as I'm speaking that the Lord will show you what it is because it might be a blind spot for you. So what I want to do is I want to break down these verses. I believe in them is a pathway how to get right with God when you know you're wrong, how to get on the right road when you're on the wrong road. Are you ready? You might want to pull out your notes. We're going to go in. I've got six points, and the first one is this. James starts with surrender. He says, surrender everything to God. Not just some things, everything to God. That's where it starts. That's where it has to start. He says, submit yourselves then to God. This is the Jesus take the wheel moment, you know, where, where you say, you know, the license plate, God is my co-pilot. You guys have seen that. That's bad Bible. That's bad theology. Jesus does not want to be your co-pilot. He's not sitting in the passenger seat going, well, you know, <laughs> if you turn left here, that would be good. That's what I recommend. Uh-uh. He wants to be in the driver's seat. That's the whole point. Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you have to die to yourself to make him Lord, to put him in charge. Campus Crusade uh, is a ministry to college students. It's been around for, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years. They have this illustration called the Four Spiritual Laws. And in this illustration, they have a drawing of a circle with a throne in the middle of it. And one of the points uh, as they go through these Four Spiritual Laws is who gets to sit on the throne? Who gets to be the king of your life? And there is a point of surrender where you say, okay, God, you're in charge, I'm not. Or as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. I'm getting out of the driver's seat, and I want you to take the wheel. I want you to get behind the wheel, not reach over and grab it when I get out of control, but I want you to drive the car. Surrender everything to God. I love the old hymn, I Surrender All. It goes like this, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Guys, this is the necessary first step to the life you're looking for. This is the necessary first step to following God and experiencing His power in your life. Saying, I'm not going to play church and I'm not going to play Christian anymore. I'm going all in. He gets to be God. I'm along for the ride. And James gets right to the heart of it, right out of the blocks. We call this a fancy uh, Christian word or Bible word is lordship. He gets to be Lord. You relinquish that. You surrender. And it is the most freeing thing you will ever do. It's the key to life. You acknowledge the fact that he is smarter than you are, and he is. 
that he knows the, the future. He sees the beginning from the end. He knows how to get you from where you are to where you're going, and it's probably an unlikely journey, and you, won't, you would never choose it, but he can get you there, and he can carry you all the way through. The famous revivalist and preacher of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, put it this way. He said, we should submit to God because He created us, because His rule is good for us, because all resistance to Him is futile, because such submission is absolutely necessary to salvation, and because it is the only way to have peace with God. You will not have peace until you surrender. Oh, but sweet surrender is powerful. So surrender everything to God. Then James goes into the next step. He says, stand against the temptations of the devil. Stand against the temptations of the devil. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now the word resist there comes from, from two words in the Greek, to stand and against, stand against. In other words, when temptations come, you stand your ground. You don't just give in to them. Now, this is really hard because we live in a culture that is driven by our emotions, right? Everything is emotionally driven. If I feel it, I got to do it. James is saying, no, you don't. Some of us have never stood against the schemes of the, of the evil one because we're just driven by our culture. If we feel it, we got to do it, and that's just, that's just the way it is. James is saying, no, not at all. You don't have to give in. Now, I know there are some of us who have tried to resist, and we continually fail in our resistance as well. But and we read that verse and we're like, well, he says if I resist the devil, he'll flee from me. Why isn't this working? Well, let's go back to step number one. All right, what's step number one? Do you remember? Please tell me you remember. I, I, I work really hard at this. You got to surrender everything to God. If you're resisting in your own strength and power, you don't stand a chance. But when God is backing you up, Oh, yeah. He'll flee. He's not... Yeah, here's the deal. You're not that intimidating. You're really not. I mean, and you're not that strong. But when you have God backing you up, well, there you go. You've got power because God is standing behind you because you have surrendered to Him. It's kind of like that scene in The Lion King where the... Forgive me, I don't know the names. The little baby lion. Help me out. Simba, yes, Simba is running from a hyena or something, and he's scared, and he turns around, and he goes, grrr, you know, and he's, you know, and the hyena's eyes get really big, and it runs off, and then as the camera pans out, and you see the scene, his daddy, the big lion, is standing behind him going, grrr, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you, not because you're intimidating, but because you have surrendered to God, and he is backing you up. You know, standing your ground can get wearisome if there's no end in sight. But James 
promises us, there's an end in sight. Oh, he'll flee. It might take a little longer than you want it to, but if you'll stand and God's backing you up, you can resist. You cannot give in. You cannot be a slave to that sin. And then in verse 8, he says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. So we've surrendered, we're resisting, we're drawing near to God. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Do you know that that is the very heart of God for you? That he created you to be in a relationship with him. That he wants that relationship so much, that friendship with you so much, that he sent his only son to die in your place. That's how much he was willing to pay for a friendship with you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Which brings me to point number three. When we lean in, God rushes in. One of my favorite parables, probably my favorite parable that Jesus told, is the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. This young man grows up, he's rebellious, he wants to do it his way. He goes to his father and, and says, Dad, I, I'm leaving, I'm going to the big city, I want my inheritance now. Now, no good Jewish father would have sold half their estate and given it to their son, but Jesus is telling a story, and he's making a point, and so the father does, gives it to his son. His son goes off to a foreign land and picks up every habit, every sinful possible thing that he could do, everything that he could do to make his father disown him and to break his father's heart. He does. And as the story unfolds, he ends up with nothing. He's broke. He has been used by the people around him for the stuff that he had, and he is desperate and starving to death. And it says he comes to his senses, and he, come, and he says, you know, even my father's servants, at least they have a, you know, a room and some food. Maybe he'll let me stay in the barn. And so he gets up one day, and he heads home, fully planning on not being a son, and he certainly doesn't deserve to be a son, and he understands that. And in Luke 15, 20, it says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So the picture that this paints is that the son is coming back from a faraway land, and as he comes up over the horizon, the father... I. I kind of think was probably looking for him, waiting for him to come home, praying that he would come home. And he sees him coming, and it says he runs to him. He has compassion for him. He ran to his son, and he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Guys, that's a picture. Jesus is, is painting a picture of who God is and what the heart of God is. And when we choose to turn around and come home, when we choose to draw near to him, he doesn't just sit back and go, well, okay, kiss the ring. No, he runs. He's been waiting for this child to come to his senses, and he runs to him, and he throws his arms around him, and he kisses him, and he doesn't have him kiss his ring. He puts a ring on his finger. Guys, when we lean into God, God rushes 
in, but He will not force Himself upon us. Oh, He'll pursue us. He'll let us know He's there. He'll show us in different ways and conversations or little miracles or whatever. I love the prodigal son was not written in a vacuum or that story wasn't told in a vacuum. There are two parables before it in Luke 15 where the, where the father, the figure who, who is the father in those parables is pursuing, is searching, is looking for, but in the end, He will not force us to come home. He will allow us to make that choice. He, he is waiting for us to draw near. But boy, when we do, He comes running. He rushes in. And you know, I think it's interesting. It doesn't say draw near to God and He will save you, although that's true. It doesn't say draw near to God and He'll forgive your sins. And that's true. But what it says is draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And the emphasis is on that relationship. God wants relationship with you. And what James understood is these sins that we don't think are all that big in our life, but they are there and we nurse them and we protect them or we're, we ignore them or we discount them. And it's a habitual problem in our lives. They're blowing that relationship up. That is us trying to be God in our lives. And he's saying, you can't do that. Turn and come home to God. So let me ask you this morning, how's your relationship with God? Really? Not how's your church attendance. How's your relationship with your heavenly Father? And then James gets real. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, don't just keep doing what you've been doing. This is serious. Get yourself free. Double-mindedness is just living with two value systems. I've got my value system or our world's value system over here, and that governs this part of my life. And then I've got my Sunday morning's value system, and that governs that part of my life. And those lines can be in various places, but he, if we're claiming Christ, but there are areas of our life that are unsubmitted, we're double-minded. Which brings me to point number four. Humbly repent before God. Humbly repent before God. In Luke 15, 21, this is again the prodigal son. The son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Never a truer statement has been spoken. He wasn't worthy to be called his son. He had sinned against heaven and he had sinned against his father. And he humbled himself and he repented and he owned it. He didn't excuse it. He didn't dismiss it. He didn't discount it. He dealt with it. And repentance, guys, is more than just confession. Can we be clear? 
Confession is good. It's part of it. It's, it's saying, but so often I think confession has become, oh, well, God, I'm sorry, you have to forgive me, and then we go back to doing what we were doing. That's not what James is talking about. Confession or repentance involves humility. It involves brokenness. It involves submission and surrender. It involves walking in the other direction. It involves what he gets into next in verse 9. He says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is another one of those verses that has always bothered me. I like happy Christianity. Anybody with me? Like, what's up with that? And it's because I've always read that verse out of context. I'm like, just, you know, verse 9. You know, James didn't write it like he didn't put verse 9 in there. That was not, this was just one thought. But we break it down into verses, and, you know, it's helpful for finding references and stuff. But, but that's not how it's written. This was not a standalone thought. It's in, it's in the context of, of all of this. And so by itself, it's a downer. Grieve, mourn, and wail. That sounds like my kind of day. No. In light of your sin, in light of the parts of your life that are inconsistent with God's kingdom, in light of the fact that you are hurting people with your mouth, that you are, are uh, showing disdain to some and favoritism and prejudice and in light of all the things that James has covered to this, this point, whatever it is in your life, deal with your sin. Repent humbly before God. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, and this is point number five, let your heart be broken by your sin and what it cost Jesus. Jesus was beaten with the cat of nine tails, and he was nailed to the cross for your sin. That's what it cost him. And as we continue on in our own sin, whatever it is, whether it's the big stuff or the little stuff, but it's the stuff that we consistently do and we're not addressing because, well, God's a God of grace and he'll have to forgive me, so I'm just going to keep being me. You do you, boo. They put Jesus on the cross. James is saying, if you are unsubmitted to God in an area of your life, it's a big, hairy deal. You have to deal with it. Not, oh, God will forgive me, so I'll keep living this way because I like it. That doesn't work. It's undermining your life. It's stealing your happiness. It's destroying your relationship with God. It's hurting you and the people around you. It's offending your heavenly Father. And until you've wrestled it to the ground with God, it ain't right. Your faith won't work. There's collateral damage in your wake. 
then you're not living the life you were created to live. So get on your face. Cry tears of repentance. Do whatever it takes. But take it seriously. Quit playing around. And don't ask for peace in your sin. Ask God to make you miserable in your sin. Ask God to cleanse you and empower you and walk you out of it as you surrender those parts of your life to Him. Every part of your life to Him. And you're not going to do it perfectly. So please don't hear I think I made that clear on the front end, but I just want to say it again because there's some of us that are perfectionists and we're going to beat ourselves up. And this isn't about beating ourselves up, but this is about addressing the real issues in our lives. And there are many of us that have them. And then in verse 10, which may be one of my favorite verses, which is right next to my least favorite verse, is this. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Universal truth. This is true from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus said, if you want to be great, make yourself a servant. You want to be at the front of the line, go to the end of the line. If you humble yourself, God will elevate you to where you need to be. That is a universal biblical truth. Which brings me to point six. Humility is the key to the heart of God. Countercultural, isn't it? But it's true. Two weeks ago, Chris read in verse 6, but he gives more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. It opens the heart of God towards us. Humility does. It's God's upside-down economy. In our world, the, the economy of, of status in our our world is you elevate yourself, you promote yourself, you say, look at me, look at me, you do whatever you can to find platform and position, and you go as high as you can, and you earn as much as you can, whether that be respect or money. Jesus said, humble yourself in the sight of God. James said, humble yourself, and God will lift you to wherever you need to be. Takes a lot of pressure off. Makes you a lot more likable, too. In the context of this passage, I think humbling ourselves before God is weeping, wailing, dealing with whatever it is that we need to deal with. But it all starts with surrender. So let me ask you this morning, is there an area of your life, and it might be something simple like, I don't know, gossip, what you're looking at online, the way you treat your kids, every once in a while, your out-of-control anger, greed, I don't know. There's a million things. I can't list them all. That's why I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit to show you what it is in your life. But where are you unsurrendered? Not where do you make mistakes, because we all make mistakes, but where are you unsurrendered to God? And James would tell us today, don't do that anymore. 
come to God, weep, wail, mourn, grieve, whatever it takes, and give it to Him. And stop playing church and stop playing Christianity because it doesn't work and you're miserable anyway. Surrender. Resist the devil. He will flee. Not because you're intimidating, but because God's standing behind you. And as you come near to God, He is going to rush in to that relationship with you. But we have to wash our hands. We have to address these things. We can't keep playing the game and nursing the sin on the side. Purify your hearts. Grieve more and wail. Humble yourself before the Lord. And He will lift you up. He will lift your chin. He will restore you. And He will take you to where you need to be. He is not a God who wants to smite you. He is a God that wants to bless you. You know, today would be a really good day to get right with God. This would be a really good day if you know what that is in your life to bring it to Him and surrender. And I want to invite you to do that. Surrender. Some of us need to surrender our lives to Jesus for the very first time today, and I, and I hope that you will. The life you're looking for is found in that relationship. It really is. It's a great ride. But there are a lot of us that have been living double-minded lives. We've got a foot in two value systems, or we have an area of our life that's completely unsurrendered to Christ. And we've been making excuses for it, and today's the day to stop. So do whatever it takes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I want to invite you as we we pray together to just in in the silence of your, your thoughts, just confess whatever you need to confess. If you need to have a good sloppy cry, you can do that too. And let's just come before the Lord right now. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Father God, I thank You for the the beauty of this passage and the truth contained in it. God, I thank You that You have a life that is so much better for us than the one we've been living. God, I thank You that, that Your heart for us is not to be encumbered by sin and, and the weight of this world, but to be free, and that freedom comes from submitting and surrendering to you. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.